I have uh, been looking forward to um, today, really looking forward to just kicking off this whole just idea of on these fifth Sundays, our kids being in with us all through the service, and just a family day, and to do these things a little different. I wish I had been holding uh, a camera uh, this morning to, to capture uh, faces with, with beach balls flying around. Uh, some of y'all really look like you had never seen one before. It's like, I don't know what that is. And, and uh, one of the missions for me, I want, our, I want our kids to believe how big God is. But I also want them to believe that it is, it is fun worshiping Jesus. They'll find out in enough time that there, there's struggle involved in that. There, there are times that he calls us even to walk through some things that are painful, but it is fun to worship our God. And so, thanks for being here today. I, I really do. I, I want to just for a couple of minutes point your heart toward um, a, a specific aspect in terms of how God loves our kids. Um, in just a minute, I want to read some scripture to you from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Now, let me set it up for you. When you open the Bible and you start to read the story of a God that is so big, in Genesis, you find a God who makes a promise with his people. He says, you be my people, I'm going to be your God. In Exodus, he gives them his law. There are rules that he gives, ten commandments, right? No, no you don't worship any other gods, don't lie, obey your mom and your dad, right? It's in there. It's one of the big ten, all right? So we get to the next book, Leviticus, which hardly anybody ever reads, but, but God's saying, hey, these are the laws in terms of how I want you to live this out. These are the offerings that I want you to bring, and, and here's when you bring them. And then you get to the book of Numbers, and all of a sudden the people don't believe God. God has brought them to a land that he's promised them, but they, they won't believe him. And so for the next 40 years, they wander around in the desert. And then we get to the book of Deuteronomy where we've got a whole new generation. A generation that was young when their parents and their grandparents would not believe God. But now this generation is ready to go into the land that God had promised them, the land that was available 40 years ago, and they're revisiting how God wants them to live this out. I want you to recognize that when God gives us laws, when God gives us rules, it's always connected to what he wants for our heart. And so here's what I want you to see. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. Here's what the Bible reads. When you are harvesting in your field, and you overlook a sheaf. Like, what is a sheaf? Is that like the Kansas City sheafs? No. A little different. We'll get it in a minute. Do not go back and get it. So you got it? Don't go back and get it. You miss one, don't, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. 
When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. All right, so let's talk about this. This is interesting. So uh, a sheaf, what in the world is a sheaf? Well, it, it looks like this. There we go. So you, you see these bundles, that, that, that's a sheaf. When they would, when they would harvest the long uh, strands of, of, or stalks of grain, they would lay those together, and then they would tie them together to make a bundle, and that was, that was a, a sheaf of, of grain. And, and so what he says is, when you're gathering that, some of you, some of you might get that process, like you think about a, a bale of straw, Okay, you're, you're bundling something together, and, and as, you're, as you're getting that, you just pick it up as you go through the field. And he says, when you, if, you, if you look back and you realize, hey, we missed, we missed a sheaf, hey, we missed a sheaf, he said, don't go back and get it. Just leave it. And then he says, when you're, when you're harvesting the olives, and, and olive trees are just gorgeous, just gorgeous, and they're all over the land where... Jesus was born and where he walked. I mean, olive trees everywhere. And the way they would harvest the olive trees is they would hit the branch. They would hit the branch, which would cause a vibration. Today, when people are harvesting things like olives, they will attach a machine to the tree, and it will shake the tree, and, and the, something like the olives will fall. But he says, in that day, you, you hit the branch, you know, maybe you hit it a couple of times, and then he's like, don't hit it again, just because all the olives haven't fallen off. And then he says, when it comes to grapes, grapes are a little different. You actually, usually in that, I mean, you actually had to pick the grapes. You're not just obviously hitting them. You, all the grapes would be destroyed. And so it, it, think about it in terms of as you're walking and you're, you're taking these clusters of grapes and every once in a while you kind of miss one. He said, leave it. Now you could go back and get them all. You could go back. You go back and get the grain. You go back and get the olives. You go back and get the grapes. It's not a bad idea to be diligent in your work and not waste what you have been given. That's not a bad idea. But there's a better idea. And the better idea is to share what you have. The better idea is to do what the Bible uses a word generous. It is to share what you've been given. And the whole point of not going back and getting the sheaves, the whole point of not knocking all the olives off the tree, the whole point of leaving some of the grapes on the vine is that there were the foreigners and the orphans and the widows who in that day did not have power. They didn't have the power sometimes even to have enough means for themselves to live. And the point was, you got plenty. And so, be generous in what you have been given. And I'm saying clearly and repetitively over and over and over in the Bible and powerfully, God says, I want your heart to be like mine. God says, remember what you were? You were slaves in Egypt. You were powerless. And what did I do? 
God says, out of my generosity, I rescued you out. And I have brought you to a land that you, you, didn't, des- you didn't deserve this land. You didn't earn this land. This is my generosity. He says, remember who you were and how I have loved you. And now I want you to do what I do. I want your heart to look like mine. Now, how do we do that today? Because, like, I mean, anybody, like, there's not too many of us today who are going to bundle some sheaves today, right? Not too many of us have vineyards, right? Not too many of us probably don't have an olive tree. How do we do this today? Well, you could get really practical with it. I mean, it can be as simple as you go to the grocery store and you don't buy every bag of food for you. Maybe you purchase a bag of food for some folks who don't have enough food on a regular basis. Maybe when you're buying clothes for school, right, and you're stocking up on we got to have enough shirts and we got to have enough, enough pants and all that good stuff, and so you buy a few extra just for some folks who don't have clothes to wear. He's saying, I want you to be generous, and just in case you think that this is just Old Testament, right? This is like Deuteronomy. It's like, old, oh, long time ago, right? We, we don't even, we don't harvest grain like most of us like that. And we don't, I, I want you to know that when we turn into the pages of the New Testament, God is just as clear and he's just as powerful. He says things like this in James 1, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He said, just in case you think my heart has changed on this, I want you to understand that when you know it's real between you and me, like, like real religion is not about just coming to a building. It's not about just reciting some prayers. It's not about just going through those motions. But the real stuff is about when you keep your heart centered on me, you're believing me, you're following what I've got. And, and the practical way you live that out is you take care of folks like the orphans and the widows. You you take care of those who cannot necessarily always provide for themselves. And why would you do that? Remember who you were. Remember who you were. Remember when you belonged to an enemy. Remember when you were enslaved in your sin and there was nothing that you could do to get you out. And God says, and I brought you out. Not because you deserve, not because you earned, but graciousness, generosity. And he says, I want your heart to be like mine. That verse, by the way, James 127, is the, is the key verse from which uh, a ministry in Heart of Life that is operated for several years now called Real 127. That's where it came from, James 127. It is a ministry that happens every once in a while. Sometimes it's once a month. Sometimes it's every other month. It just depends on the season of the year. But it is a night when many folks from Heart of Life come together, and, and, and we, we, it's about 
four, four hours or so, something like that, where, where there's games and there's, there's, there's uh, a Bible that's taught. I mean, it's just uh, almost you could think Bible school kind of fun, but all those things together where foster kids can come and have a safe place to be cared for so that those foster parents can have a night to breathe. Maybe they go to dinner, whatever they want to do, but a night to breathe. So it's a ministry to those foster kids. And I'm saying that when we, the church, operate in generosity, when we, the church, um, practice what some of us practice called, called percentage giving, which just means when God has blessed us with all these grapes and all these olives and all this grain, there's a percentage of what God has blessed us with that we give together, and when we do, we can do things like Real 127 where we care for foster kids and Uplift where we can help to feed the hungry and Restoration House where we can love on the oppressed. That's what God's called us to be. Today, we want to highlight one other ministry that has been around here for about eight years now. And uh, today I want you to hear about it again. Some of you perhaps have never heard about it. And today I want to call you to take some steps to help us with something that I think is right in line with the heart of our God. Let's watch this and we'll talk about it. Hi guys, it's Pastor Jeff. As you can tell, I'm coming to you from a really unique place. We are in the city of Taipei. Taipei, Taiwan. And this city is very special to my heart because this is the place that we adopted Nick, my son. And when God let us do that, uh, our heart also wanted to see other kids. Other kids that don't have moms or dads, they don't have families, they don't even have places to live. We wanted to see those kids taken care of. And so we started something called Project Nick. And the idea is that there are shelters that we start in different places in the world. At those shelters, kids get fed, they get clothes, they have a place to sleep, they get to go to school, and most importantly, we get to tell them about Jesus, who loves them more than they can even imagine. place today, a city with one of the coolest names in the world, Kathmandu. That's right. And I just want you to know up front, I am risking my life in order to bring this video to you today. You, you don't believe me? Whoa. Check this out. 
Yeah, there's the warning sign. Don't open the window. Birds may fly in or, that's right, monkeys. Uh-huh, monkeys. Yeah, see, my hotel is located uh, close enough to one of the temples here in Kathmandu. There's a lot of monkeys that hang around the temples. And so sometimes they wander off like to the hotels where they know they can find food and that sort of thing. So I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to open this window. I'm going to show you Kathmandu. But you better warn me if you see a monkey. Deal? All right. thinking, Jeff, what are you doing in Kathmandu? And why would you risk your life under monkey attack? Okay, maybe the monkeys aren't quite that dangerous, but I am excited to be here because I'm excited to announce that Kathmandu is the newest location for our Project Nick shelter. In this city, there will be more boys and girls who do not have families, they do not have homes, but they will find a place of shelter, a place to be fed, clothed, to be cared for, where they can get an education, but most of all, they will hear about the Jesus who loves them more than they can even imagine. Anybody know where Kathmandu is? Here's where it's at. So India to the south, China to the north, and in between is the country of Nepal. And Kathmandu is in, in Nepal. So we currently, when it comes to Project Nick shelters, we have Nepal, Myanmar, India, and China. Um, currently, about 175 kids are cared for in Project Nick shelters. About 175, and at any given moment, 10 or so, okay, that can shift, and, and as soon as the Kathmandu, uh, you know, is, is open, there'll be some more kids who begin to, to roll into there, but they get food, they get clothes, they get shelter, they get an education, and most importantly, we get to tell them about Jesus. I want to just introduce one of those children to you today. Um, he is a, a little guy that's in the China shelter. Uh, his name is Mark. That's Mark. Mark is four years old, or about four years old. Mark um, was found one day in a trash can. I'm not over-dramatizing that. I'm saying Mark was found one day in a trash can. And the men who found him there brought him to um, the, the pastor who is the lead of the, of the shelter there in Taiwan. And Mark now 
lives in a place where he is cared for and loves playing outside with his friends, um, chomping on a little watermelon every once in a while. Mark has Down syndrome. Because of the way he was found, nobody knows his actual birthday. We don't know the actual day on which Mark was born. And he does not have an ID. Mark has no identity. Oh, but he does. Because this little young man is loved by the king of the universe. The king of the universe who not only knows his birthday, but the king of the universe who knew Mark before he was even born. We're talking about the God who chose to be born in a cattle trough who will certainly reach into trash cans and declare his love for little boys that the rest of the world might be able to ignore. And the opportunity that I'm laying before you today is our chance to follow our God's lead who loves little boys like Mark. He's just one. He's just one of the kids, the 175 plus in those four shelters across that part of the world. And it is why today I am calling you unashamed to this commitment. You'll find it in your worship guide. If you want to find it, if you want to go ahead and take that worship guide and inside it, there's a little slip of paper. It's got Project Nick on the top. You, you, can't, you can't miss it. And today, um, I want to challenge you as families to support a child in a Project Nick shelter. It is an opportunity to demonstrate a heart like God's. It is an opportunity to share that with your children. Um, if you make the commitment to support one of the kids in the shelter, then every month we're going to send you a new story of one of those kids. We'll, we'll send you a, a story of, of what's happening with those kids um, you'll be able to share it with your kids. You'll be able to pray for those children. You could even go visit them if you wanted to, at least some of them. In some of those places, you, you could bring your kids and, and actually go visit the very kids that, that we together are a part of supporting. You'll notice on the sheet, Jeff, what does it cost to feed and clothe and shelter and educate and tell them about Jesus. For a year, you ready? $444. $444 for a year that we can feed them and clothe them and shelter them and give them an education and tell them about Jesus. Now, I'm saying, come on, that's, that's crazy. Even for the, the, the hearts in this room who most struggle with trust, this is a slam dunk for you because ain't nobody making money off of $444 a year. Nobody's ripping you off. Every penny that comes in for Project Nick goes to take care of the kids. And so today, I, I am challenging you to consider 
um, taking such a step. You, you, you can see it on there. You, there's a little place for your info, and you may just want to fill out the info today, and then you can drop the, the uh, little slip of paper back. There's a couple of black tables that are set up back there. There's pictures of the kids, and, and uh, you could just fill it out and drop it off, and then somebody will, will contact you during the week just to see how you want to handle that and what you want to do. You can also just, you can do a one-time gift if you want to. You can, you can write a check and do that. Just make sure in the memo line, you make it out to Heart of Life, but just in the memo line, you put Project Nick. Um, some of you can do more than 444. You might say, I want to do a couple of kids, or hey, I just, I want to do a thousand bucks. Cool. Uh, that, that's the way Project Nick up until this point has survived. It's just been by individuals here and there who have, who have helped to make that happen. Or, that comes out to 37 bucks a month. 37. And you and I both know what we spend 37 bucks on sometimes during any given month. And so maybe that's the way you want to do it. If you're going to do it that way, I, I would encourage you to set up some, some automated you know, process. You can do that through our website. Um, you can go in. There's actually going to be some people back there at that table when we're done today. Um, and they will help you set that up. They'll help you set it up. The reason that's kind of valuable is because once we commit to this, we really can't say on month number three, hey, we're not sending you any rice. We really can't do that. And so I think the commitment part of that where we just set it up, it's automated, it works, it's, it's just really one of the best ways to do that. And then there's, an, there's another part of this that's so beautiful. Because of our partnership with another organization called Orphan's Hope World Mission, which actually was birthed out of Heart of Life too. Um, I can verify, I, I get the privilege of being able to be on the board of, of Orphan's Hope World Mission, and the pledge that Orphan's Hope has made is that they will match every kid that we sponsor. So in other words, when you give 444, Orphan's Hope sends another 44 444 to us, and actually when you sponsor one kid, two kids get sponsored. How good is that? That's a big God. That's a big God. So I'm saying we can go after this. Some of you have helped us do this for many years. Today's call is to say, hey, what if we all? What if we all go after this a little bit together and we can make sure that every one of those kids knows there really is a king of this universe who treasures them. He loves them. He loves them. Why would we do this? A heart like our God's.